Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the My Tech Story Africa podcast. My name is Alice Kanjejo, your lovely host. And just a reminder before we get into the episode, for you to subscribe from wherever you're listening from, it's absolutely free and it helps this podcast reach the right target audiences and let people know about what's happening in the tech African landscape today. Also check out our website at mtsafrica.co and there you can be able to join our MTS community where we're growing and you will be able to get the latest updates on what's happening across the tech African landscape. Now we can get into the episode. Today we are featuring the lovely Claire Correr, who is the director of product at Moringa School. This season's theme has been building the next generation of African tech leaders, and Moringa is one of the schools that enables that. And I'm very excited to be featuring some personalities who have contributed to Moringa's success so far. Claire shares with us her evolution from envisioning a path in chemistry to becoming a key player in tech education. Claire begins her narrative by sharing her unexpected shift from a potential path in chemistry to studying economics at Columbia University in New York. Chemistry was my favorite subject. I think, unfortunately or fortunately, our education system forces you to just think about your your academic journey based on the things that you're good at in class only. Her journey in education began immediately after university, where she played pivotal roles in establishing schools like the African Leadership Academy in South Africa and the Mpesa Foundation Academy in Kenya. She also discusses her time as the head of school at Kegutu International Academy in Burundi, showcasing the importance of instilling leadership skills early in students. Claire's insights into the intersection of education and tech provide a unique perspective, making this episode a must listen to. She passionately discusses Moringa School's commitment to bridging the gap between education and employment with an impressive 70% success rate in students securing jobs. The episode closes with a detailed overview of Moringa's school courses, intake schedules, and the supportive learning environment provided for the students. Aspiring tech enthusiasts, educators, and really anyone seeking inspiration will definitely find Claire's journey a testament to the transformative power of education and the impact of institutions like Moringa School in shaping the future of Africa's tech landscape. I hope you enjoy this episode and now we shall move straight into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the My Tech Story Africa podcast. Today, we are featuring a special guest who is also representing a new series that we are going to be having this season. If you've been tuning in, you know we've featured Carnegie Mellon University in Kigali, Rwanda, as well as soon to be North Ken East Africa. If by the time this episode comes out, maybe you have received some episodes from Norskin. But today we are having someone from Moringa School. And Moringa is a tech education institution that is empowering tech talent and basically enables people to create their own futures through technological solutions. So I'm very excited to have our guest here today. And I am going to give her the opportunity to introduce herself. So Claire, do right. us the honors of introducing yourself. All right. Thank you so much uh, for having us today. My name is Claire Korir, and I am the director of product at Moringa School. Um, I think my journey has actually been uh, a bit interesting because I didn't start out in tech at all. Um, uh, when I was younger, you know, I thought that I was going to I was going to go into like chemistry and chemical engineering. Wow. But I ended up doing um, economics at Columbia University, New York. 
Um, from there, I think that's where my journey in education started. So I've been in education um, right from when I, I completed uh, my university training. I worked um, at a school called African Leadership Academy in, um, in South Africa. I helped found, um, or at least was part of the founding team um, of Mpesa Foundation Academy here in Kenya, uh, part of the founding team uh, of uh, the African Leadership University in Kigali. Uh, and then um, my last role before I came here, I was the head of school um, at a small high school in Kigutu, Burundi called Kigutu International Academy. Um, I think at that point I was like, look, I have been traveling the world. It's nice to see different cultures, but I'm ready to come back home. So. Um, it was really good to get the opportunity to come to Moringa and I've been here for about a year and a half now. Wow, I already know from that intro that we are in for a very interesting conversation. I am very interested, I'm very keen to know what this journey that you've uh, put together is mm -hmm. all about. So I think I'm just going to take you back to the beginning sure. of when you mentioned that you initially thought that you were going to get into chemistry yeah. or chemical engineering. So. At, when you were younger or in primary or high school, mm -hmm. tell, walk us through that journey of when you thought it was going to be this. Mm. Um, I think we can start there. You know, I think I was fortunate enough. I, I wasn't good at many things, right? But I was good in class, right? Mm. Um, and I think the sciences were, were good to me. They came easy to me. And so straight from uh, primary school um, in Eldoret um, and into uh, Kabarak High School. I think that's where my, my love for the sciences was, you know, fomented. And I just enjoyed, chemistry was my favorite subject. I think, unfortunately or fortunate, fortunately, our education system forces you to, especially when you do well in, in school, mm -hmm. it forces you to just think about your your academic journey based on the things that you're good at in class yes, only. Yes, 100%. And so that's, I remember signing my university forms and chemical engineering was one of them. I never really wanted to be a doctor. It wasn't my thing. I wasn't, mm -hmm. I, I, blood makes me queasy. So I didn't really mm -hmm. want to do that. Um, and because chemistry and physics were my favorite classes, I said, you know what? Physics, there's some engineering. Yeah. Chemistry, you then you combine the two chemical engineering. Yeah. So there was no art to the decision, decision making around I wanting to go into the sciences. Wow, that's very interesting because chemistry was my worst subject, <laughs> worst performing throughout high school. It just never came to me. Never, ever from the time I entered. Mm -hmm. I even did tutoring, post Nothing. you know when you're you know, when you're on holidays, <laughs> tutoring. I just, chemistry was just not my thing, but I did enjoy physics. So yeah. that's really interesting to see someone who was really interested in those yeah. particular subjects. Okay, so then you decide that, okay, it's going to be chemical engineering. Yes. So how did, where did you end up doing university? And then where did the shift get so into you? So in between, just before, I think I even still have my papers for chemical engineering. I was called to Moy University, never ended up there. Mm -hmm. um, in between there, I got um, into a program called Kensap. Um, they take high-performing students to Ivy Leagues in the U.S. Um, mm. And so I got a merit scholarship to Barnard College of Columbia University in New York. And off I went. So First of all, I congratulations. Thank That's you. no small feat. That's thank something you. to acknowledge. Um, yeah, so I didn't get to go to university here. Um, I went off to New York and I think 
it was interesting to see the shift between and even when you asked to sign up for your first classes before you join and all my classes were chemistry math physics the ones that i knew i was good at but when i got there i remember my um, academic advisor telling me you know what you don't have to do these subjects like mm -hmm. we have tens of courses they require you to do like some english here some math here they have some core courses that you have to take you know their photography classes and all of them sort of build up the classes that you need to take for your major are fewer than the ones that you need mm -hmm. to graduate those other ones explore and I think that's how I ended up doing a lot of African studies classes. I did a lot of economics classes. I still did math, but then I realized, you know what? I don't want to be in a lab. Yeah. You know, doing experiments. It mm -hmm. was dark and boring. I really, <laughs> really didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And so after my first year, I switched up and I, and I did. And you don't have to declare your major until your the end of your sophomore year. Mm -hmm. So at the end of my sophomore year, I, I declared a major in in economics and a minor in African studies. Okay, and um, I think just with you saying that, uh, it's it needs me to ask the question. You know, African parents stereotypically, when mm -hmm. you choose a course, sometimes they may have some a bit of qualms of you deciding. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe you're abroad and now you're deciding. Okay, I want to do something else apart from this major. So, were your parents mm -hmm. supportive of that decision, or was it a bit of a challenge for you? I don't know if I. I don't remember if I told my parents. <laughs> Um, that I had switched my major. I think my parents were just really happy that I'd left the country, to be very mm -hmm. honest, and that yeah. I'd gone to a really good university. Yeah. Um, when I was in university, I was still very apprehensive about like making sure that I, I make money out of mm -hmm. once I graduate. So in between, I did my internships in investment banks. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, you know, that's the only way. If I'm not going to become an engineer, I, I might as might well make as well. money. And I was in Manhattan. So that's the place to do all these fancy internships with, yeah. with investment banks. And I did that and I just didn't like the investment banking culture at all. Mm -hmm. um, what was it about the culture? That I mean, it was like <laughs> very, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, it was very white. Okay. Very like male and very... Um, all about like closing deals and yeah it just was not a place that i felt that i could thrive mm -hmm. right and it was around i think my junior year the end of my my junior year, which is my third year that i decided look i'm not needed in this country when i graduate i'm definitely going back to to the african continent that mm -hmm. i didn't tell anyone Mm. That and I knew it was going to be a problem because, again, I told you my parents were just happy that I'd that left. A lot of my relatives and a lot of our friends who'd gone were relatively successful. Um, yeah, and so that's the, that was a picture of, of success. And what was I coming back to do here? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I finished my internships in investment banks, but I knew I was not going to. Uh, so I started exploring um, NGO and education opportunities at the time because a lot of people, you know, most people um, in universities, you start applying for your jobs in your junior and your senior year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. So what happens in between now, your senior year and you're about to graduate and your, your plan is to come back to Africa? What was that like? So... I don't remember a lot of, I mean, I remember there was a lot of anxiety around getting jobs um, because a lot of the ones that were on the table were investment banking jobs, as I'd said. But I, by chance, I met um, Fred Swanica and Chris Bradford, who at that time had founded um, uh, African Leadership 
Academy, which evolved and became and is now African Leadership Group. Um, and I think the way that they were talking, and I, I think at that time, there was a lot of conversations around, even more than there was now, mm-hmm. around like Africa as a new frontier, all these exciting opportunities around like transforming Africa, leadership in Africa. Conversations that I feel like before that you go to the US, no, you know, you get really good opportunities in, in high performing universities and you stay there. Mm-hmm. Right. But then there was this movement that was happening of like people coming back home um, and not just coming back home to, you know, to sit, but to come home and actually make, make impactful tra- change. Exactly. Impactful change. And so I was so lucky that I, I, I bumped into this this fantastic group of Africans who were coming back and who were um, who had very big visions for the African? I jumped on the bandwagon. So they offered me a job uh, before I graduated to uh, become a teacher uh, at African Leadership Academy, and that's how I and I graduated. And within a month, I was on a flight to South Africa. And then I told people once I was already there. You told people once you were already yes, there. I didn't once. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> what was the reaction then? there were things like oh my goodness you you know you've gone through such a an amazing educational experience to become a teacher yeah no I, yeah. I think that would have definitely been a shock and yeah. any any parents that I think especially just the way we are raised here in Kenya yeah. hearing that information is not I mean you've gone to Columbia University to go become a teacher yeah. that's um that's a big piece of news and yeah. did you feel that making that decision were you 100% sure that this was the right decision it was the best decision of my life best de- other yeah. than going to the US for school that was the best decision of my life because I think from the you know the people that I worked with uh, to the students who are in my um, who I taught, some of whom I currently work with, some of whom are doing fantastic things across the the African continent, best decision. It was uh, for me, it was the the picture of where education should go, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're empowering your students, you have um, empowered educators. Um, you have an entrepreneurial mindset embedded within an education system. You have learning that is guided by values. Um, just that was, has literally formed the blueprint of how I think about myself, my work, and where I want to be and where I want to go. Yeah. Okay. I think before we get now into your journey back to mm-hmm. Africa, mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask you a bit of a and a personal question mm-hmm. um, while you were in New York for those couple of years for university this I think can help people who are thinking of studying abroad mm-hmm. or are looking mm-hmm. to get those kind of opportunities what would you say was the impact in your personal life in terms of the cultural differences was there a time you felt alone was there a time that you know you felt that this is not as glamorous as people make it seem. I mean, you were in Manhattan, which is, you know, presumably said to be one of the mm-hmm. best places to be and, you know, make an impactful change. But you were also feeling a bit of a, a strain from being there, as you've mentioned, especially in investment banking, which, mm-hmm. again, a lot of people romanticize. Um, so, yeah, I just want you to walk us through that kind of experience Okay, let me start with the not so good things. Yes, for sure, the US and Europe is glamorized in a way that, um, I mean, there's a state, there's a phrase called American exceptionalism, right? Mm-hmm. 
they do fantastic PR for that country. <laughs> fantastic, <laughs> right? We should learn how to do to do our own PR um, that way. Um, so you go there with an insane expectation of what you'll get, um, of what you'll see, uh, of what you will become even. Um, and for sure, in my first few months, I had a lot of um, culture shock. First of all, I didn't know how disgusting trains are. They are very dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't, sometimes like when it snows, like basic things, it's like a very dirty city sometimes. Yeah, the rats are the size oh, of. Oh my <laughs> God. A dog, you'd think it's, it's like a chihuahua. Yeah. Um, so, so in that sense, and then even like getting used to the food, right? The rice doesn't taste the, the same. The eggs are pathetic. The sausages don't taste the same. The meat, everything doesn't taste. So you, it has to have, you, you have a period of adjustment, right? And then the social norms are also not the same, right? Yeah, you are starting from scratch. I had the unfortunate experience of like a lot of the peers that I went with had other people or other Kenyans mm-hmm. and a big Kenyan community, or not necessarily big, but like, a relatively sizable community within the universities that they went to. Went to. I didn't, um, but I did have. I, I did find. End up finding and meeting a couple of people um, who are Kenyan. Um, most of the people who I socialized with, for for good or bad, were mostly white. As, as it as it um, happened, and I mean, you you know, you have to figure out how to get your place in the social. Um, scene um one thing i really appreciated though is that you know some of course i was coming in with on top of everything else right it being like your first year of university like everybody else you're coming in with like a a cultural barrier um but i really appreciated that the university went extra extra miles to make sure that you're they're putting you in social situations they're mm-hmm. giving you tips and tricks we had mm-hmm. crazy discounts to go and see broadway and and plays and go to the ferry and do various activities around the city so that first year was a lot of learning and like crying and um but then you know and forming some really really good friendships as well um there's something I wanted to say that I have forgotten that it come back to me. Um, oh, yes. And then I think what make, made the biggest difference, um, especially as an African and as an immigrant, was that I was on a full scholarship. Mm. So I didn't have to do... I mean, I worked for my upkeep. You know, I was getting like $12 an hour. And with that, I worked 20 hours a week. I was fine, yeah. right? More than it, more than fine. Um, and I also didn't have expectations from my parents to send any money back yeah. home. So that's my, an important, that's a very important point. Yeah. Actually. So for me, I did not have financial challenges, yeah. which is extremely rare yeah. um, for immigrants who move to Europe and the US yes. because there's a lot of obligation around working to pay your school fees, working to send a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. I didn't have that. Yeah. Um, so I think that isn't my my transition into in, into the U.S. But I think for people who are looking to go to school, I think, I mean, the Kenyan economy is really tough. Um, if you want to go, go. If you have the opportunity to go, go. go. But be aware that is with your context, right? If you're going to work and pay for school, just know that it's going to be difficult. And it, if you... 
if you want to win the same way like we do it here, having a community is extremely important. It doesn't have to be like a Kenyan community. It's just like a, go out of your comfort zone, make friends, ask for help. You know, don't be isolated. Don't do illegal things. Let me, I was told I can emphasize. Don't do illegal things, please. Right? Yes. Just live with it. Because you can do illegal things here and get away with it. But yeah. If you go back there with that mentality. Mm, yeah. Then you live a miserable existence of like hiding and, mm -hmm. you know, you know, having to live underground for a long time. And that in itself is a very emotionally um, draining. Draining. Yeah. yeah. So if you have the opportunity to go, go. But go being aware what your circumstances are, what your context is. And just know that it's not necessarily going to be um, easy. Okay. But if you do well, you can do... I mean, I have a lot of friends who are thriving. Yes. So it does give you a, a crazy leapfrog Yeah. if you work hard. You yeah. work hard. You go and use it as, as an opportunity for learning. If you don't have to take shortcuts, don't. You know, actually go, especially if you're learning, because I was learning go and take the opportunity to actually tap into the kinds of insane knowledge um, um, that they have, right? And crazy R&D that they have. And then you'll be good. You'll be good. Yeah. Well, thank you for that piece of um, advice that you've given our mm -hmm. audience. I think that if you're looking to go abroad, you've heard it from the best. And I will also take your advice should I decide to do my master's abroad. Yeah, just um, don't do illegal things. Just don't do illegal things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we're on your journey back to Africa mm -hmm. and specifically South Africa. Okay, so tell us now, walk us through your journey in South Africa. You know, mm -hmm. how was that experience now being integrated at Africa Leadership Academy? Mm -hmm. I can actually tell you, uh, I don't know if it's funny, but a story of in high school that was my dream place to go post high school really? because I knew just like you said you know when you go to some when you go to a particular institution and mm -hmm. you know the upper hand that it gives you so me and a couple of my friends were so excited to apply I actually applied to you know get into it post high school 844 and have that those foundational years mm. before going to the next step and it was almost at the back of my mind assured that once I go through this program, I'll mm. be equipped enough to go abroad uh, on a scholarship, mm -hmm. uh, even especially because it was at a time my parents weren't able to. Of course, going abroad is expensive. Is. So pay the school fees mm -hmm. to go to the kind of caliber of schools that I envisioned mm. myself going to. But somewhere, you know, in form one, form two education, I wasn't taking it too seriously. And then now when you start getting it a bit serious mm. I, and the caliber of students that also apply, mm. I unfortunately did make the cut. But and I cried heavily for that but but, you're here. but i'm here I, I mean i'm not complaining yeah. at all i mean life hap I be, i'm a strong believer that mm -hmm. life happens the way it's meant to be sure. but i do have a friend who was successfully went through the program and now she's in spain mm -hmm. and doing her own thing but yeah it's just it's taking me back to that trauma of when i got my rejection letter so, so now hearing from you, what was inside and tell us about yeah. the selection process and, you know, just the experience mm -hmm. of working there. Mm -hmm. um, working, as I said, um, working at ALA for me as a teacher was, has been or helped me, you know, create my, you know, the vision that I want in my life. And I think, you know, the, the, there's a couple of things that at that time, I actually don't know. I know they've had iterations of their strategy, but at the time, 
the two big strands of the education system there was um, African studies and entrepreneurial leadership. Um, they did have, obviously, because even when you want to transform um, an education system, transform anything really, they say you work with what you have to get to where you want, yeah. right? Um, so what they had to work with was an established um, curriculum, which is Cambridge. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were doing A-levels. Yeah. Um, okay. Students had a, a wide range of classes that they could take. And the good thing about A-levels is that you just pick three um and you you focus on that and the rest of the time we had african studies which was a part of the team and then entrepreneurial leadership which um sometimes i used to um teach in that as well mm -hmm. um and so at the end of the experience not even at the end during the it's been so long man yeah, it's been <laughs> almost 10 years yeah um during the the two years that you are there as a student you're expected to um either first of all volunteer in the community as well as uh, start your own entrepreneurial um enterprise right mm -hmm. um and then you had your educators your teachers as your mentors um and then i think one of the things that i mentioned was that life was guided by values so mm -hmm. i remember one of their values was gratitude mm -hmm. and every week i think um, during the weekly assembly, we had specific people recognized for the values that they did. And it was not just like, oh, I'm grateful to Mary. She gave me a cup of tea. No, it was like actually thinking about actions that people did during the week um, that actually helped propel you forward. Another one was, I think, humility. Um, it, and I don't remember the others. I think excellence was one of them, integrity. Um, and it was just... I know a lot of people and a lot of companies we do to have values, but it was really about living and ensuring that both educators and students um, live the values. Um, also, the hierarchy between teacher and student was like almost flattened, right? Mm -hmm. I was, I saw myself and I think the spirit of the school was that your teacher is, is your is the facilitator of knowledge and not necessarily the, the holder of it, right? Mm -hmm. So in my economics class, because I used to teach uh, development economics as well, yes, we teach the foundations, but at the end of it, um, we ex I expected at least my students at that class to have a research paper and to, you know, you know think through and, and read some of the... Um, the big economic thinkers and, and, and write something up, something that is not necessarily done in a lot of high schools here. You're just regurgitating things, right? We left the regurgitation to the, the Cambridge one. Mm -hmm. And then everything <laughs> else that you did um, in entrepreneurial leadership and African studies was very much about living a life that um, helps you build your person so that you can actually be impactful. Mm -hmm. um, on the African continent. And I think for yeah. us it was very specific because there were students from all over the African continent, from North Africa, West Africa, East Africa, Central, South. Yeah. Um, okay. And then I think another very big differentiating factor were two things. One was the college placement, as you said, was a very, very big um, part of, of, of the ALA journey. ALA, you better pay me. Of the age. Yeah, we are getting a free promo here, actually. <laughs> and then there was a career services. And that office worked with the students who are graduating from universities in the US and in Europe 
and was actually placing them into jobs or entrepreneurial opportunities on the African continent. So it yeah. needed to be full circle. Mm. You start at the high school, you go to universities wherever, but the aim but is always to, to come, come back, back home. Mm-hmm. I really like that. And I, lo- I love institutions that I think everybody that we featured on this podcast has that similar goal of, mm-hmm. you know, building Africa. And that's also the theme of, you know, this season on My Tech Story Africa is, you know, how can we highlight people and institutions that are enabling P- Africans or across the continent to make impactful change? Mm-hmm. Um across the continent. And I think that's also why I gained an interest in Moringa School, which led me to you. And to circle back to everything that you've said, it seems that throughout this experience, you're also learning how to, you know, train these students to become, to get to their full potential Mm -hmm. and, you know, become successful entrepreneurs across the continent. And um, so walk me through now that journey from, from ALA to then Moringa and with the skills that you've been equipped with throughout the years, Mm -hmm. um, how would you say you, you can individually be proud and say that this is the impactful change I've made in the lives of particular students or people? Mm All right, so post ALA, I came back to Kenya briefly. Oh, yes, um, then you went to Burundi. And uh, I would say the, so I'll say I was the lead consultant for Mpesa Foundation Academy. Oh, yes. Right? So working with a team, very small team, to bring the academy to life. Mm-hmm. And I was really young. So I think one of the things that I truly believe is that you need to teach leadership early or you need to have people experience leadership early, right? Um, Being in the same room as leaders uh, um, at Safaricom, um, planning, uh, you know, architects and and having conversations with people from the Ministry of Education um, around uh, some of the things that we wanted to do differently from, for, you know, for the school, thinking about strategy documents, you know, how are we going to actually have a structure that makes sense for this school? How do we make sure that the same way that Safaricom and Mpesa's brand is around the country, that we make sure that our admissions process for the students is actually countrywide? Um, that really pushed my um, leadership, my self-awareness skills. Um, and I was very, it was hard as hell, but I was very grateful for it. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for, for, um, the MPESA, the MPESA team actually, um, uh, trusting me with such a, a pivotal role. Yes. Um, I then left and I went back to the AL group, um, in AOU. I think at that time they were trialing, um, some leadership, um, courses uh, within their universities and they also needed to project manage just a few things. I had really had some experience here with accreditation and things like that. Um, and so I went there for a year. I think the Impesa uh, Foundation uh, experience was really good, but it was really tough and I think I needed a break. So I, that's where I went and took a break. It was really mm-hmm. good taking a break in Rwanda. I know you've been there. Yes. Um, so it was just, it's a very calm country. It's actually the, the best place to go. To and that's like Wosa for like, <laughs> <laughs> for a year. Cause I was yeah. only there for a year. Um, and then another leadership role came calling, uh, to be the head of school, um, at Kigutu International Academy, very similar high school structure to, to LA because they were, they were doing Cambridge. It was Burundi's high school is about three years, sort of what we're moving to as Kenya. 
Um, and they also just wanted to have the same sort of learning um, principles as ALA, not completely replicated just because the culture is so vastly different and it's specifically for Burundian students. Um, and so I was there for about three, three plus years. Um, another, I think working for Impesa Foundation Academy gave me the raw skills and then I sort of polished them a bit um, mm -hmm in in uh in burundi and i think that for me what really triggered me to come back home was covid i was in burundi during covid burundi was completely isolated because uh they didn't acknowledge the existence of covid i think mm -hmm. so there was some there were some rules that you needed to do you know to get vaccines and stuff so anyway the country was on lockdown as many other places and um, we couldn't move Right. And I was like, no, I can't be this far away from home for this long. It's been, I think at that point it was maybe 10, 10, 11 years of just yeah. moving around. Yeah. And so I started plotting my, my comeback. Of course, a lot of opportunities everywhere in the world had been reduced because companies were downsizing. Of everybody course. was just watching. Yeah. So I had to wait. Um, and then last year I got the opportunity to join Moringa. Was it last year? was last year. <laughs> the year before. Well, the year before. My goodness, I've been here for You've a year been here for <laughs> yeah. more, more than a year. More than a year. Yeah. Okay. And how would you say um, your experience at Moringa has been? It's been amazing, to be honest. It's been amazing. I think, you know, Moringa is a learning accelerator. So it means the courses, that, unlike the, you know, the previous education experiences that I have had, where you are with a student um, or a learner for two, three years. This one you hear with students for sometimes a day to six months, mm. right? And so you have to really think on your feet, how do we make the experience of this student actually as impactful as they want and as we we want them to 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 as well. So um, I, I've loved uh, working here. I think it's good to be. Moringa has the same um, underlying um, guiding principles of an education institution. Like people would typically not think about it as an education institution just because it's very tech heavy and yeah. there's a lot of tech happening. But the underlying principle is that it's, a, it's actually an education institution. Mm -hmm. And so values beyond just academic excellence, one of it is like from one of our values is from potential from potential to possibility. Right. Mm -hmm. We're coming in, you are a high school student, you you just have a basic interest in tech, we'll figure out where to place you, mm -hmm. right? So if you're coming in and you need a lot more help, we will figure out which products to direct you, perhaps not software engineering, maybe start with a product design course, maybe if it's you know data science is too heavy perhaps start with a data visualization course just so that you can see what um python you, in, like you know would look like in in a data science structure so yeah i think it, we we try as much as possible and i think we do a pretty good job of 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 making sure that we create experiences for students where for sure once they graduate especially those who are looking for um employability mm -hmm. that we can be able to work uh, and work with the journey with them to the point where mm -hmm. they actually get a job and at how 
what is the rate of uh, that student success story of having people being integrated to the actual work environment from the students that mm -hmm. come from Moringa? Mm -hmm. So a lot, a bulk of our students, especially those who are coming in from high school, um, a lot of them are just looking to build skills, mm. you know. Some of them also have been pushed by their parents, which yeah. is totally acceptable in this culture. <laughs> <laughs> so come in, you finish for four, you're wasting time at home, come, come in, come in, go, go to boarding and find something to do. <laughs> so a lot of these students, yeah. we, and, and, but, but they end up, you know, a lot of them end up, you know, wanting to come back, wanting to upskill. But for those who are actually, so those, are, I would say maybe, 50% of our students are that, right? Mm -hmm. Students who are coming in to just build skills mm -hmm. and are, after that, they actually go into university. So they're mm -hmm. not looking for okay. employment. That's fair. But the other half who are on our employability pathway, who are explicitly coming saying we're, we're looking for employment, yeah. we actually put them into that track and they work, we work with them um, from the time they graduate usually, and uh, we're trying to make sure that it actually starts earlier, and actually 12 months after they leave um, and complete their courses at Moringa, and we make sure that they try and get a job. So our success rate is about 70%. That's really right? good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if I may ask, what exactly do you do to, en to enable that process of students to be integrated to the workplace? Do you give them, op do you send them opportunities that tech companies mm -hmm. are having mm -hmm. across the continent or across Kenya or how do you go about that? Mm -hmm. So we have an entire outcomes team, mm -hmm. um, which, and that's, that's their job. Their job is to look for jobs that match the profiles of the students that we yeah. have. Uh, when they are in in Moringa, we have soft skills programs. So, you know, problem solving, critical thinking, communication, basic uh, soft skills that are necessary in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Once they, you know, they, they get to the end of the funnel into the outcomes team, what they do is, you know, CVs, you know, clean up your CV, mock interviews. Um, what else do you do to, to you know, to prepare whatever else you need to prepare for a job and then mm -hmm. they have this entire data bank of jobs mm. right so they try as much as possible to match the students to talk to employers uh and match these students to actually jobs that exist in the market okay yeah. okay that's valid and I mean, it, it does sound like the work that Moringa does is impactful, including for students that are just looking to gain some technical skills mm -hmm. um, to people who are looking for employability. I think it's also important to just let our audience know in case they're looking to get into the institution, what, what courses that you offer and what your intake looks like. All right. So here comes the pitch. These are, <laughs> these are our courses, right? So we have software development or software engineering. Uh, both full-time and part-time it can also be remote or hybrid remote means you are in your you have your laptop in eldoret right mm -hmm. and you can work uh, and go through the course content hybrid means you unfortunately have to be in nairobi or fortunately have to be in nairobi and you can either access our victoria uh, plaza space in, in westlands or our space on gong lane or along gong road Mm -hmm. So those are the hybrid options and we have data science. We also have them part-time and full-time. We are introducing a hybrid option for that as well, just because I think students, 
after the pandemic, I think people really like being in spaces yeah. together and learning with one another. So for data science, we're introducing a hybrid option as well. Uh, we have product design, which is UX, UI. So it's not designing of a product, but actually more on the software, software development side. Mm -hmm. um, then we have data visualization with Python, which is a short course, it's about 12 weeks. Uh, we have a, we have two cybersecurity courses, one which is an introduction introductory one that's about 12 weeks as well. And then we have a boot camp, which is six months, um, and you get a CompTIA certification at the end of uh, of that course. Okay. Yeah. And what does your intake usually look like? Or so we have just... intakes every quarter, mm -hmm. right? So our next intake, perhaps by the time you see this, maybe we'll have closed it for soft, most of our classes is November 27th. So software engineering, um, data science, we have, I think, November 6th, uh, as well as cybersecurity. Um, all these courses, we'll have them as well in Q1. So we'll have a February 26th intake uh, for software engineering. We have a February 12th intake for data science. And then we have a March, intake for the cybersecurity classes. Okay. So, but uh, every quarter we have intakes for all these courses. Okay. Yeah. That seems fair because that some of them are short courses, so it only makes sense for mm -hmm. you to do that every quarter. Okay. And I mean, do you want to give advice to anyone who's looking to uh, apply for Moringa uh, or anything that they should know to expect while coming to this institution? Mm -hmm. Advice. That could be a tough question. It's a tough question. <laughs> so let me actually look at the profiles that we have for the different courses and what success looks like and maybe yes. just give advice in that sense. Yeah. Um, so I think if you want to go into the software engineering track, it's really important to have interest um, in coding or um, technology in general because it's, it's really hard, mm -hmm. right? So you have to have a level of commitment and then you also have to have interest. So at least that interest, when things get tough, they put, it pushes it you, you, right? Um, I think a big selling point as Moringa is that we have technical mentors who are the instructors. They're, you know, we have a small class size of, of 30 students per instructor. That student, that instructor is there with you 8 p.m. to 5 p.m., right? You have access to them um, in the mornings and in the evenings on calls. Um, you have access to them, you know, on Slack or Matamost or online, right, um, to get any unblockers. So I think the advice is that please, please, <laughs> if you're looking to come to Moringa, you must be, have interest. Be, have interest, but do not be afraid to ask for help. Mm. Ask for as much help as possible because mm -hmm. we are designed in that way so that you always have people who can respond yeah. to your queries. Yeah, because I think some people might feel like, you know, this is a struggle that I need to keep no. within myself or I can't share this mm -mm. with um, the person who's teaching me, my lecturer mm -hmm. or some sort. So, yeah, I think it's also very important, especially when the course is as challenging as yeah. I, I assume it is, mm -hmm. just based on how I know coders and engineers and yeah. designers work, it can be very intensive. So I think talking to people is something that is very crucial for them to become successful in their field. And I will tell you, you guys that we will also be having some alumni from Moringa to give us a story on how maybe this journey getting to 
moringa and post moringa how it's been for them so that you can have the real time um story and experience from the eyes of the guests of how it's been post uh, going through that that educational program okay i have enjoyed this story but before we wrap up i do have some final questions that i do ask every single guest of mine and i hope you're prepared i did send you the guiding questions if you didn't it's fine um simple sweet questions so the first one that i have for you is what advice would you give to someone who's aspiring to get to where you are today um so my advice is, you know, you cannot afford to be afraid. Um, reason is, I think I grew up, and, and many, maybe many of us grew up in, in settings where we had to be very meek. At least I did, right? And that, you know, it was proper to be quiet and to fade into the background. Um, nah. it, it just doesn't work. It you doesn't have work. to be able to to raise your hand, to ask questions, not to be afraid to sound foolish, be okay with failure, be okay, you know, being rough around the edges, you know, not being, not letting good be the, you know, perfect be the enemy of good. You just, you move, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was just, one of the things that I really enjoyed about our college was that there was a very big banner that said, unafraid, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just you just do it unafraid. The worst thing that will happen is a no or a rejection. And then you cry and then you move. You move. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, and what's one word to describe the journey to get to where you are today? Leadership. Leadership. I think that is self-explanatory based on the <laughs> the course of the story that you've yeah. meant, you've you've shared with us throughout your journey. And finally, do you have any regrets or things that you wish you would have done differently throughout your journey? I actually do. I think I regret not spending more time with my friends mm. or like cultivating my friendships more because I think in the pursuit of being, you know, ambitious and like I need to get to place X, you know, you leave really solid friendships behind sometimes. Um, and I think now as I've continued to grow, I really, I care a lot more about like my social circle than I, than I did, um, back then. And sorry, just, um, could you give us just a bit more context about what you mean spending time, more time with your friends? I think friendships must be intentional, right? You have to call people, make time to see them, you know, care to know what they, they, they care about, give them gifts, you know, travel. Um, I think I find that I, I enjoy experiences more than I enjoy things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ha- just having better experiences with friendships and in friendships and with social circles, I regret, but I'm, you know, the good thing is that it's a regret that you can fix. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's valid. And I am, um, very thankful once again for you right. to for you agreeing gracing our podcast and mm-hmm. agreeing to be part of this and sharing your story. I know it's not always easy for people to open up and share this, but I'm very happy that you've had the opportunity to grace our podcast Mm -hmm. and i do hope throughout your journey as it continues that you keep growing and you keep elevating and you keep growing into the leader that you envision yourself to become Mm -hmm. and empowering more students to become to to get to their full potential especially through the education that you've been doing over time and yes i think with that being said we can now close off this episode 
Thank you once again for tuning in. Please remember to subscribe from wherever you're listening from. It's absolutely free. You can catch our episodes on YouTube if you're listening on the audio listening platforms. And if you're on YouTube, you can catch the episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of the major podcast listening platforms that you tune into. My name is Alice Kanjajo, your lovely host. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have uh, Claire with us here on this episode. We will still be hearing more stories from the Moringa alumni in the upcoming episodes, but make sure that you tune into the episodes that we've been filming for and uh, getting out there into the world for season two. And I think we shall see you in the next week. So cheers and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you.